0: This is one of the most fascinating parts of the New Testament for me, because here we have recorded the very argument between Paul and Peter, the two great pillars of the early church, or at least uh, from this morning's lesson, we know they're they're the male pillars of the early church. There were many pillars, and there were many women pillars of the early church in this New Testament era, but these are the two figureheads, if you will. Peter and Paul. Peter is the apostle that seems to have been given the most authority and power. He's the one that preaches at Pentecost. He's, he like runs everything. Um, Even though he might not be in charge of the church in Jerusalem, he is definitely like worth listening to. In fact, there's several books of the Bible written by him, and the Gospel of Mark is a record of his preaching. He's a pretty big deal if you can put it that way. And here's Paul, this late apostle. He's born out of due time. He's like a child born prematurely or too late in the term, he says, probably late rather than early. Um, He comes to know Jesus when he's out in the desert, while he's wandering around. He comes to know Jesus on the Damascus Road when he's struck down blind. He comes to know Jesus through pain and suffering um, as as he was a persecutor of Christians, and now he's a Christian himself. So he met the risen Christ in the desert. He met the risen Christ in the third heaven when he went up there and he found and he saw things that he could not even speak of or utter. And p- these two great apostles of the church face off in this argument. I love that opening line. He says, But when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Uh, it's a pretty powerful statement. You can just see Paul. Um, Paul is generally um, imagined as being fairly short, um, a short, maybe bald. He's always per, uh, portrayed as being a bald man. Peter is the fisherman. He's the guy that um, drew the the sword on the soldier in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. Um, I'm not sure he's very tall. He never, never says how tall any of these guys are. But he is um, someone that seems to be impulsive and acts before he thinks all through the Gospels as we know him. So maybe he's like kind of a person that tries to assert his physical dominance before he tries to argue with you, whereas Paul seems like he's going to try to argue with you and, and maybe tell a joke before he gets in a fight. Um, but both of these guys boxed. Um, you know, Paul, we know for sure that he boxed. He says he says this in a couple um, references in the New Testament, um, that he trained like a boxer, Um, whether this was just for physical fitness or he actually did it um, competitively, we don't know. But these two guys have a showdown, um, which you've ever watched this as a bystander. Um, It's always intriguing to see two people get in a fight. And here we have the early church watching this fight um, as Paul and Peter get in this fight. And Paul has the upper hand. Of course, he's the one writing this letter. He's the one that says, Listen, I opposed him to his face because Peter was keeping all the kosher rules while he was in Jerusalem. He was, you know, going to the temple and praying. He was only eating food that was uh, approved by the rabbis in the area. He was uh, keeping all the rules of Judaism. And then all of a sudden some Gentiles show up and they've got salami and ham sandwiches and some crab cakes and... Lobster and Peter's like chowing down with them, and he's having a good time. And and then he goes to another group, and he um, even if both options are presented of kosher and not, he always just stays with the kosher food. Kind of like um, the old joke that um, you know, uh, uh, there's a joke about Baptists not recognizing each other in the in the liquor store. You know what I mean? Um, there's an old joke about that because um, it talks about hypocrisy, someone who will do one thing in one context and then go to a completely different context and do something completely different. All the while, each group that you move between thinks that you're one of them completely. And Peter is doing this. Um, it must have driven Peter kind of, kind of uh, mad in some ways that having to switch his personality from one group to the other switches his ethics, his protocol. But he's been doing this for a long time. Um, we, also, we know from early uh, church history that there's many Jewish people during the Hellenistic Jewish era before Jesus who um, would, would pretend to be uh, Gentiles. They would compete in the Roman games, the Greek games. They would do a lot of stuff to pretend to be Greek when in fact they were Jewish. So maybe Peter feels kind of like those guys who are going sort of back and forth between two worlds. If you are a child of divorce, if you are a person who's had to navigate uh, two different worlds where you speak one way in one world and you speak a different way in another world, you know how hard this is on the psyche, um, how hard it is to switch back and forth between two groups. And Peter is doing it all the while thinking he's getting away with it. But Paul knows what he's doing. Uh, somebody's told him, apparently, or maybe Paul at the last potluck looked over and saw Peter uh, going over the ham sandwiches to, to eat the uh, corned beef hash. And then at the next party he was at, he's going for the hams. And I don't know how he knew this, but he confronts him about it. And he says that, you know, you can't live this hip- hypocritical life anymore, Peter. Paul is, of course, right. Um, and yet, um, Peter has a point. Peter is a Balancing this delicate balance of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in the city of Jerusalem that is often comes to great conflict. Um, you think the, the conflicts we have in church today are huge? Well, this conflict was a huge one in their day. Um, it was something maybe we don't fully understand because we are not a church of half Gentile Christians and half uh, Jewish Christians. That's just not the, the proportions in the... Um, in the modern American church, uh, analogy might be the tension between uh, new Christians, people that have not been Christian before and just became Christians, and people that have grown up in the church and have been Christians their whole life long. I think in our little context, we often have some conflict between people that have been Episcopalian their whole life and people who have never been Episcopalian until they came to St. Joan of Arc. Um, both groups are necessary for the life of the church. Both groups are loved by God, valued, and everything they say is true. And yet, often these two groups can clash um, because we all have our presuppositions we bring to it. So these the Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians, had this similar kind of, you know, we're all on the same team, but why in the world would you ever think of doing that? <laughs> you know, um, That's what we say to people that we don't always agree with. And so they have this huge conflict. Um, and, and Paul is right, though. Paul says... Um, you know, I'm right. The Holy Spirit is right about this. I'm on the Holy Spirit side. And we know from the context of the history and this lesson that Paul is right and Peter is wrong. But the beautiful thing about this argument is that we, 2,000 years later, get some of the greatest descriptions of what the gospel is for us today. We get some of the greatest language about who Jesus is and what he did for us. Notice this last part where he says, um, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I can't think of a better description of the Christian life than that. I was crucified with Christ. I am being crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. This is the identity of the Christian. Jesus is crucified on the cross, and we were crucified with Christ. Our sins were put on Christ, so whenever you have a regret, a failure, a fear, something you wish you hadn't done, somebody brings it up, that somebody might be the devil, it might be somebody that knows you from the past, and brings that up, you say, I was crucified with Christ. I was crucified by Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. It is Christ who lives in me. I'm not alive anymore. I'm alive in Christ, that man that you see crucified on that cross. This is the most powerful statement of the gospel, one of my favorites. And it comes out of an argument between two guys who are arguing about one being a hypocrite and the other one keeping to the truth. So um, this is the Holy Spirit working through the controversies of the early church. The Holy Spirit works through conflict and controversies always. The, the idea that there's this, this perfect world that we're this close to getting to is one of our most besetting sins, probably as Americans, because we do believe in this myth of progress, that things are going to get better and better and better and better. And we sort of live for that. So when everything doesn't get better, we say, that's a disaster. It's all a failure. But out of this conflict comes one of the most beautiful statements of the gospel. And I'll end with that. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me.